Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Um, so, and once again, trying to thank our uh, patrons as we record instead of saving them up. So this week we had uh, Lemurag. Oh, uh, Lemagrag. I'm going to go with Lemagrag. Nice. L E M A G R A G. Sure, I'll take it. So, uh, thank you very much to Lemagrag. Lemagrag. Yeah, I want to make it Lemagrag, but that's not right. I like Lemma Gregg with that spelling. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's all I got. Oh, all right. Well, thank you very much, Lemma Gregg. Lemon Grog. It's not even lemon, right? It's Lemma. <laughs> I like really want to make it lemon. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. Lemma Gregg. Lemma Gregg. Well, thank you very, very much to you and to all of our patrons. Yeah. Now let's hop into the episode. Today's episode is um, just creeping dread. That is all these two chapters are. It's just this creeping psychological thriller horror dread that doesn't really culminate in very much. But the heaviness of the emotion is like really mirroring how I feel in real life. And I just like little kind of like last week kind of just emotionally riled up um but in this case it's more of like a depressing cr- dreading kind of emotion so here's my sort of overarching theory soho is the crossroads of twilight it is at a crossroads of trade and it is basically decaying it is sort of an example of what's happening around the world at all of these cross because you know we hear about how the the dark one comes out at night and you have uh, there's all these sort of rumors around evil creatures appearing at a crossroads and the dead appear at a crossroads or at twilight or at dawn and right the this this is literally yeah and it's literally described as shadowy yeah so i like that that so harbor is itself the actual embodiment of the crossroads of twilight and, and that what we're seeing, you know, sort of the meaning of the book is that the world is falling apart. The ghosts are rising from the dead. We are seeing the ghosts rising from the dead all over the place because this is really 
the beginning of the end. This is the crossroads in which the last battle has started. He's setting up everything for the last battle. You know, this is the final turning point before you step onto that final path. Then also the Dark One's touching the world and everything's decaying. The seals are broken. The dead are rising. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's just... There's no reason, I think, for Soho to be the place other than it is a crossroads and we see the dead rising at at, at such crossroads. I like that because I've always wondered what the point of So Harbor is because like Pants is saying in chat, like there's no, like nothing really happens there. It's just a dread. Like, mm-hmm. They get some food and they get some information. But the overwhelming like Wikipedia summary entry is dread. It, it's. But to have it that dread be like, no, because that's what the world is experiencing. That's mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, dragon is one with the land. This town is embodying the land also, kind of like Rand's body is taking on that sort of thing. Like, this is what we're doing. This is what the world is going through. Oh, I like that. I like that. It makes this section feel like more than just a random gas station pit stop. Because I have to imagine, like, I'm tr- I always try to imagine, like, why is Jordan writing what he's writing? Is he including these characters viewing these events, right? And the first half of the book is pretty easy. We are seeing everybody's reaction to the cleansing. And it was a dumb reaction and boring to read <laughs> in a lot of places. But that's what he's doing. He's showing, you know, oh, how is the world going to react to this event? And the reality is they're going to shrug and move on, which remarkably is so prophetic to how people reacted to things like pandemics and he knew wars his America. And, yeah, he knew his America. So <laughs> yeah, the whole shrug, oh, that's big news. Anyway, shrugging and moving on. It doesn't affect my life. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. That's far away. It only affects those people over there. Um totally first half of the book. The second half of the book is very much setting up the the final battle he's putting everybody in their final places before he starts the final battle and before he wrap knife of dreams is i have to cut off all these plot lines and bring them together into the final battle um and here he's setting that up but it's also i think basically saying this whole book is this is the world right these are the people seeing the cleansing and these are the people seeing the decay these are the people getting ready to fight these are the people in various spots all over the world preparing for the last battle. And so it is this sort of intake of breath, the calm before the storm, the, you know, the last bit of setup before we actually get to the final cascade. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's enough meta talk <laughs> for me. <laughs> I I'm nodding that that all helps me make this book not feel like a waste of time. <laughs> and it, it's i understand it obviously after reading it you know I, I haven't been the most enthusiastic when i sit down to do notes on this book it's been more of a struggle than other books but that doesn't mean i don't still see the value in it and i think the struggle for me has just been you know like there's this the name salad like because it's just so hard to look up all these names and characters and try and remember why they you know give each other side eye and you're just like it doesn't why it doesn't matter you know, <laughs> um, and and make some significance out of that. That takes work and effort. Yeah, I think it's more sloggy as a podcaster than as a reader. I think agreed. As a reader, your mileage may vary, and I sometimes adore this book because nothing really happens except Michael mm-hmm. and Kate remind me of how cool this world is. Right, right. Which is great, and I love it, and it's fine. But yeah, trying to make entertaining content out of it has been a little bit harder to 
find a way to justify. Because it is. It's just very much like sitting in this world for a minute before everything changes. But, like, obviously, obviously we love being in this world. And we would all spend many, many an outrigger just cruising around on the sidelines of the plot, seeing how the world works. Like, it's... I, I do love it as a reader. I, it's just as a content creator that my my real angst is coming from. But yes, as you said, enough meta. Let's figure out when to wear jewels. Oh, and just FYI, uh, season two is coming out between this episode and the next episode. So that is happening that this is happening. very week. Ah, boy. Yeah. And oh, just just when it comes out, I think because it, it comes out like midnight Thursday night or whatever, mm-hmm. really early mm-hmm. Friday. My work week starts Thursday, and I work those 12-hour days, so it's like, I won't get to touch, start watching it until Sunday. Um, so I have uh, to avoid spoilers for, like, three days. Man, I've been... I am done with the fucking clips. Ever since the trailer, ever since the Dark Friend Social scene, I have been fucking done. I can't go on Twitter anymore. I've seen... I can't go on half of Discord anymore. I've seen so many screenshots of shit I didn't want to see. Same. So many screenshots of things and gifts of things I did not want to see. I do not want to know. Because I think f- people feel like they have to comment and make content out of every single screenshot and bit and thing that comes out. And there is a market for that. So I understand why certain content creators are doing that. I'm glad for them that they have the energy. I do not. <laughs> I don't have the energy to consume their content. I don't have the energy to compete with their content. I, good for them. I just... I'm going to hang out with the books. I'm going to chew my way through the three episodes over the weekend and sit with that. And I I just, I, I can't engage with the hype. I'm going to burn out before episode one drops. Mm-hmm. If I engage with mm-hmm. the hype, I just, I can't, I have this, I need to experience this as a reader, not as a content creator. Like I just, I'm going to deal with content after the season is over. I don't want to experience it through the lens of how can I make content out of this? I just want to have my show in peace and we t- we talked about the trailer and there was a bunch of stuff in there that's already been proven wrong that i guesstimated and i already, i don't like that feeling i don't like being the person who's like i think this is what's going to happen and then i realized none of my predictions were accurate yeah i'm happy for that to exist and that there's people who want to experience that from content creators so you can all go have your happy fun times with that but like i just i i can't engage it hurts me too much to to it's too many spoons too many brain weasels but once it's all done once it's all out once we've seen all the takes on it once we've seen all the episodes we can make our own i think you know it'll be fun to go back and be like so this is what's going on as far as we can tell in these episodes based on all the commentary and stuff like that i really think we'd have a lot more fun watching re-watching the season and talking about episode one in the context of episode eight because that is what we do that is what we do yeah I, we tried to create content as it was coming out last year and that just didn't make sense for us because we were just no and then it was a year before the content was able to get released under very yeah. like subpar <laughs> standards and like yeah it was yeah, just, yeah it wasn't good it was not good we're yeah. So yes, I am very excited for the show, but not as a content creator. <laughs> like I think like that is that is just on a back burner until what mid October or whatever. Dude, the three episodes at once too. Oh my god, that's I just don't mean. Like that I really don't like that. I, mean, I guess it's better than the whole season at once, but Jesus. Dusty Wheel is doing twenty four hours. Chat, you are shitting me. No, no, 
I mean, I would believe it, but like. <laughs> no, not really. Okay, okay. cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, that's what I am. Okay, let's dig into this chapter. Yeah, and this is your read-in for once. This is my read-in for once. We actually get back to the boys. Chapter 25, When to Wear Jewels, and our symbol is the Sean Chan helmet. Because we're getting up to the Sean Chan eventually, I guess? Oh, no, because we see a Sean Chan in the, in the chapter, right? Back yeah, right, it's right. Ver at the very end, there's a rocket flying that we see. So it's also um, Balwar's friend, acquaintance is Talonvor, who's making made contact with Sean Chan. Really? Or it, they that's who he's meeting. That's basically who was meeting with him at the contact. Right? I think I think the contact is a place where he said cuz in chapter 27, Balwar comes back with Talonvor and Talonvor has the connection to the Sean Chan. Oh, that that's the next time we see Talonvor, he's coming back with yeah. uh, what leads to Kylie. Yep. Or yep. Tylee. Tylee. Tylee Kirgan. Um Oh, okay. And so Balwar slips off into the thing to meet his acquaintance, and next time we see him, he's with Talonvor. Oh, I didn't realize that that happened so soon. Well, I guess because we're getting to the end of the slog and shit's about to start happening at a reasonable yeah. pace. Again, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, and when to wear jewels is, of course, a reference to the the phrase, if you want to buy a little bit of grain, you know, dress poor. If you want to buy wagon loads of grain, dress rich. It's when you wear jewels. So. Yep. Perrin strode impatiently up and down the flowered carpets that floored the tent, shrugging with discomfort in the dark green silk coat he had seldom worn since Fayil had had it made. She said the elaborate silver embroidery suited his shoulders, but the wide leather belt supporting his axe at his side, as one, the one as plain as the other, only pointed up I had a hard time reading that sentence too. So I got yeah, I do too. She uh she said the elaborate silver embroidery suited his shoulders, but the wide leather belt supporting his axe at his side, the one as plain as the other, only pointed up that he was a fool pretending to be more than he was. That feels like a I, I did highlight that because shouldn't that say the axe and hammer at his side, the one as plain as the other? That was what was tripping me up. It's like, I think he's saying the belt and the axe are each as plain as the other. But I, it's, I, I completely agree. I was expecting the hammer to be there. And I literally, my mental voice tripped up when I was doing these notes. And I had to reread the sentence. Like, what are the two things? Like, why is the belt getting brought into this? And only pointed up that he was a fool? Shouldn't it be only pointed out that he was a fool? It, yeah. I don't know that pointed up... As is a synonym for pointed out in any other context except this sentence. But that's definitely what it feels like, is that it should be pointed out. And and it's the same in yours as it is in mine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a crazy sentence that I don't understand. It's yeah. It's very weird. Why it's structured like that. It does it feels like it was something was deleted in editing or copied and pasted in a way that it should have shouldn't have been. Hmm. Weird. Sometimes he tugged his gauntlets together or glared at his fur-lined cloak, lying across the back of a chair for him to put on. Twice he pulled a sheet of paper from his sleeve and unfolded it to study the sketched map of Malden while he paced. That was the town where Fayil was being held. Jondin and Get and Hu had caught up with the fleeing inhabitants of Malden, but the only useful thing they had gotten was this map, and making anyone pause long enough to provide that had been a chore. 
Those strong enough to fight were dead or wearing Gaishine white for the Shido. Those who remained to flee were the old and the very young, and the sick and the lame. According to Jondin, the thought that someone might force them to return and fight the Shido had quickened their steps north toward Andor and safety. The map was a puzzle, with its maze of streets and the Lady's Fortress and the Great Cistern in the northeast corner. There's that reference to the cistern. Mm -hmm. It tantalized him with possibilities, but they were possibilities only if he found a solution to the greater puzzle that was not shown on the map. The huge mass of Shido's surrounding the walled town, not to mention four or five hundred Shido wise ones who could channel. So the map went back into his sleeve, and he continued to pace. Nice. So yeah, this is sort of the setup. He now knows she's in Malden. He's getting ready to plan the rescue, which is actually a fair amount of Knife of Dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's finally getting the information that we've been gathering from Fayil's POV. He's now caught up to more or less the same information, minus how the Shido fit into it. But he now knows about the cistern and about where the thing is burned the most and like that sort of fundamental information, the name of the town, right? Right. Um, and we know we get later, it's 32 knots, so it's 32 days since she's been taken. So that was the end of the Path of Daggers. So she's been taken through all of Winter's Heart and now again through pretty much all of Crossroads of Twilight. So we're now into our third book of her being kidnapped. Um, and it goes well into the fourth. But all of that is only a couple of chapters on screen. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is like he's only been in basically two short sections in the beginning and ending of this book and no real time has passed. It's only one month mm-hmm. and we're talking yeah. a three book yeah. span. So yeah, um, he's, he's existing here sort of waiting for things to kick off for the day. And he thinks about how Berylin is actually pretty cool when she stops being a creep trying to break up his marriage. And it's, I'm really seeing the pattern being like, just, just in case we got a spare wife just yep. in case. <laughs> Just because we can't have this man falling apart. He needs a woman to keep him on the straight and narrow, like, to keep him grounded, to keep him functional to Rand. Like, which is, we just have an understudy. Just get an understudy. No offense by you, <laughs> but, like, you're in a dicey situation. I really feel the pattern doing that. Because Barrelane is finally becoming someone that Perrin can rely on and does like and does open up to. Like, he talks about how he's able to talk to, to Barrelane about missing Fahil. Like, this fulfills the falcon and the hawk sort of dichotomy, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. She is finally becoming someone that he could lean on in a time of severe distress, like losing the falcon. I also like how like she stops really flirting with him when Fael's not around, because it's really more about competing with Fael than actually flirting with Perrin. Yeah, Perrin doesn't understand why she stopped hunting him, and it's because she has to have a competitor to hunt him with. Otherwise, there's no point. She's just in it for keeping his lordshipness over the army organized. And that's much more of a, like, work wife sort of thing. Like, she only wants to go after him sexually if Fael's there to make jealous. It's very silly. <laughs> Which makes me go, wait, sh- her and Fael? Exactly! <laughs> there's, there's something exactly. there. There's a little get hatred. Get off the straight and narrow. The forced relationship. Just, that, yeah, yeah. Get rid of the comp- just get rid of the compulsive heteronormativity and just allow the falcon and the hawk to do their own thing while the wolf, like, looks on and guards the perimeter. Like, there's no reason the three of them couldn't be an absolute powerhouse. 
And I, I still think it fits the nice symmetry of Rand having three girls, Perrin having two, and Matt having one. Perfect. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. it's the early 2000s. <laughs> uh, so, he's waiting for Arganda. Uh, what is Arganda bringing back? Gold. Gold, that's right. That's right. So, he's gone to his three queens and basically said, we need supplies scrap together as much gold as you can get so we can go buy it. Yeah. And between the three of them, him and Galien are able to come up with as much as Baraline on her own, I think. Right? They're pooling their resources, not necessarily equally, to get the captives back. Or no, not to get the captives yeah. back, to get the grain. Because they're all going to the starve without the grain. Right. right. That's the point of all of this is that they need to go resupply. They've been in the wilderness. They've they've recruited a bunch of people from the uh, countryside, and they've gotten a bigger and bigger and bigger following at this point. Right? He's growing because he, he's also going to continue to grow because he needs more troops to take on the Shido. Well, and I mean, again, it's the crossroads of Twilight. People are getting disrupted from their lives and cast adrift, and an army moving through that knows how to organize getting food is gonna attract those people, whether they want it or not. It becomes a real problem for him later but i think that the trickle is starting now right absolutely because he's been in this his camp is trying to take on like vaguely village-like proportions so people know where to go you know people are starting to learn that maybe the organized people over there might have stuff and it's amazing when you have a bunch of people with nothing else to do other than organize a space how quickly it can become take on a semi-permanent I mean, just look at Burning Man, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, festivals are an excellent example of how quickly that, like, village permanence energy can pop up. So they, what they've done is they've emptied all their carts, right, so the carts can go get grain. And so everything that was in the carts is stacked up in the center of the camp, being protected, but essentially like, hey, let's empty our inventories so we can go pick up loot, is what's going yeah, on here. Yeah, now it's a cornucopia that they have to guard. Okay, there's quite a bit here about Aurora. Honora, uh, sorry. Honora is Berylaine's Aes Sedai. And her attitude changes a couple of times over the course of this chapter, and I wasn't exactly clocking why. I couldn't figure out exactly what her attitude was and why it kept changing, right? I think it has to do with her observing the other Aes Sedai interacting with the Wise Ones. And worrying how much control the wise ones have over the behavior of the other sisters. But I'm not super solid on that. That's just the best I could come up with. Because, like, it seems like she's just sort of following... In the beginning, she's following Berylaine around with her head down, exhausted. Yeah, and then she's really, like, intently peering at the Aeol tents. And then... I don't know. The Aes Sedai are all very confusing in what they want and why they're doing what they do in these two chapters. Let's see. Yeah, I know I've looked up Anora a couple of times, and I think the conclusion that we came to is Anora seems to have some sort of crush on Berylaine. But just the idea of, like, I will sacrifice myself for you, for what your needs and your wants, right? Like, she burns herself out to bring Galad back to her, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, no, because it's an unrequited crush. That's what you do. You sacrifice yourself to maybe show them at the end, and it's, I I don't know. I don't know that that's substantiated by anything other than me yelling about it repeatedly. Right. But I really like it, and I don't quite know how to fit her behavior in this chapter in with that headcanon. 
Like that didn't help me bring clarity to what she's doing here, which like a good hand headcanon should tie up loose ends. And this chapter still felt unresolved to me, but she probably does care about more than just Barrelane. You know, she does have eyes to die concerns and she does seem to be more of an eyes to die here than an advisor. But yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, we get this guy, Kyrian. Uh-huh. Kyrian, I think is how the audiobook says it. As far as I can tell, he's just in these three chapters. He's sort of there to react to the ghosts. As far as I can tell. Yeah, he's... I, comic relief is a little too strong, but he's kind of there to, like, physically uh, articulate what's happening in terms of, like... He is the only drama that actually happens in the chapters he's the only release from the creeping sense of dread because he actually sees the dead walking and screams and that feels actually like a release of tension because it's just been dread the whole time and then someone actually sees something and it's almost a relief um but yeah i don't think he's here for any reason other than to give us that this one brief character to just articulate that in in fine form he's a great He's a great little one-shot character. Um, sure. But yeah, yeah. He doesn't do anything other than sniff wine contemptuously and shriek like a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> Real tough guy, Kyrie Annan. Oh, you know that that is a, the kind of scream only dogs can hear, actually. Yeah. Or wait, no, is he, uh, he's Gilladonan, right? Remigrandian. I don't know. He's one of those uh, foppish countries. Right. But, I mean, they, they say it's a scream of a man, but, like... Let's be real. That is a scream of a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> I mean, that's how men scream, Exactly, right? exactly. Uh-huh. Like, I have been a 12-year-old girl. Trust me, I know. <laughs> um, we get a little bit of backstory on Aram and how he's doing, which is just further following into the corruption of uh, the Prophet, right? Because he's super pissed at Perrin for abandoning Fael and not rescuing her faster. He's been going to the Prophet. He's getting in arguments with everybody. He's just picking fights for no particular reason, and the only person he doesn't snap at is Perrin, which makes you wonder why, and like... Mm, mm, yeah, no, per uh, Aram is rapidly descending into Masima Madness. He has no real defenses, no real resistance. He is just free-falling into absolute zealotry. And so he gets left behind, which is, like, good because he doesn't have a chance to mess things up, but also bad because then he just goes back to the prophet, gets more brainwashed, you know. I don't think bringing him on this trip would have helped anything. No. But, yeah, um, this is why he's going to keep going back to Messina and becoming a murder weapon for you, Perrin. Well, again, it's just like he's a neglected dog and he's become rabid, right? Because That's he's just been left. rabies gets passed. I know. Well, <laughs> he's been left out in the yard to be contaminated by the wild animals oh. that have reached up and bit him because he's been left, you know, tied to a post and not used and not trained and not given an outlet for his aggression and energy. Do we think he's beyond saving by now? Like, I want to say that it would be possible to rehabilitate him, but I feel like as far as this way the situation is currently going and the resources that they have and the awareness that they have, I think it's too late at this point. I think technically if the, if like loyal kidnapped him and took him to a steading and sat him down for like 50 years, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe even not 50 years, but I think being removed from the situation and talked down, I do think he's savable, but 
short of that, I don't think any argument from Perrin or any of his like potential friends within the camp is going to get through. I think he's too lost to the cult for realistic solutions. I think once Fael had been kidnapped, that was the end of it. Because Fael is the only person who I think could have won because she is the cure to Masima's madness, literally. Um, <laughs> stab, stab. <laughs> stab, stab, stab. No more Masima. Um, and so I can just see her being the person who would, you know, recognize and talk him out of it. But she's not around. Right. There's no scenario in which he would be this vulnerable where she wouldn't be there. Because, yeah, right. I could totally see Fael being like, yo, 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 we need to fix this. We need to, like, have a talk through, like, whatever. But this situation wouldn't arise with her there. Like, right. right. Uh, so, yeah, realistically, he was doomed as soon as Fael got taken. And with the prophet right there, right? If the prophet hadn't been there, sure, if there was sure, no sure. contagion yeah. to infect him, you know, maybe. But yeah, with with the, the elements set up the way they were, he was uh, doomed to fall into some sort of... I, I don't want to say his mind was cultured to believe, but that's essentially like with the way of the leaf, he had this belief system that was taken away from him. And he was given the sword and didn't have another belief system to basically fill that part of his mind. And he fell into Masima's sort of weird profit based drag which you know corrupted by forsaken obviously religion right but it, it is a thing that when people you know get raised in a cult their overcorrection into a different kind of cult is a very common problem like exiting the religious life and becoming a dogmatic atheist you know like it's a thing our minds form patterns and they like to stick to those patterns people who are trying to quit smoking often find themselves eating too much because of that oral fixation of putting things in your mouth right that like repeat a pattern is it's easier often if you're quitting something to find a substitute than to quit it outright right and this is also why drugs that rewire like your actual neuropathways have shown such promise in treating addiction, mm -hmm. like psychedelics, is because like you can literally get out of the ruts and get a bird's eye view and like write new ruts into your brain. That's the power of those drugs. And like addiction, that's the fucking problem is the ruts are too deep. Like mm -hmm. there's a real this the, this is the nubbin of things that needs to be researched and why this shit needs to not be illegal because like ah dealing with brain like brains are incredibly plastic like incredibly plastic like people have recovered from some insane brain injuries and brain illnesses with like because the brain is just so plastic and just reroutes like it it's truly amazing but like patterns be they you know chemical addiction or otherwise patterns that we repeat are really really hard to change like it, it's just that we're plastic but we're also concrete right right uh so parent puts daniel in charge daniel is you know as the token fourth boy has sort of risen to a place of prominence in the two rivers uh guard mm -hmm. uh, I, f I feel like that's jordan just he whenever i see daniel i'm just like oh yeah that's jordan making a reference to the fact that he was going to be something big but that got changed in editing but damn it he's going to make him a character anyway exactly exactly he's still here god damn it i'm not dead yet <laughs> i'm not written out yet yeah barrel contribution balances out the two rivers and the gildanan portions basically exactly so barrel really is like all in on this whole we need to buy food for the army thing. She is underwriting this war effort. 
Right. Absolutely. Um, well, she's underwriting Perrin 100%, right? Everything he's doing in the rescuing of Fight Yield. She understands that that's vital to the like. She's like, this cannot function without Fight Yield. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting considering how much she wants to take Perrin away from her, but at the same time still needs to rescue her. Well, there's Perrin with a lost wife, and there's Perrin with a wife that has faded and been set aside. Those are very different parents. Uh, mm. it's, it's the difference between a martyr and someone who's just disgraced. Exactly, exactly. Right now, Fayil is a martyr, but she's able to be demartyred if they can rescue her alive. Um, so, Missouri and Cynid, uh and three warders ride up, and that lets Anora relax. So, I, yeah, I guess there's something there where she was anxious about those Aes Sedai, and now she's relaxed because they've shown up. Well, Perrin thinks that it has to do with the Aiel wise ones letting them go into So Harbor, like, without supervision. So, like, I can't find any reason to think he's wrong, but he's Perrin. So, I don't so necessarily I trust him. Right, But, like, right. I, I don't see anything else. It seems to be just the dynamics of, are you eyes to die or are you sniveling novices, you know? Uh, so, as they're riding out, he sees one of uh, Masima's messengers go running off to report that he's leaving. And he's like, well, he won't be able to get to Masima's camp to send out assassins so we're safe which is such a weird thing to think about your allies but not really allies yeah like he's crossed into a place of having like this parasitic dagger well not even parasitic but just this hanging on like dagger just at his back all the time right it's like a threat but masima insists on pretending that they're allies so like there's this whole weird like subterfuge song and dance where nobody believes it but it has to be done anyway and they're killing anybody who wanders out alone, right? Because, like, Berylaine lost her two thief catchers. Right. And they're afraid that he's going to try to kill the leaders if they're out of the camp. But, like, at the same time, there's no way that the leaders of the camp are ever going to be so poorly defended that his rabble can get to them. So it's... I don't know. Also, it, when he st- he's like fights the Shido, he's like, yeah, you go first. And they're like, sweet. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You know, so they fight for him in that battle. Uh, they just don't expect to get wiped out because they're religious fanatics and they think they've got God on their side. Yeah. Yeah, it's Perrin acknowledges the reality of the situation in a way that the armies broadly don't, even though they do, I don't know. It's convoluted and pointless all fluff and feathers as would say. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean it's it's fun to see the end of masima right i mean that is a, a plot line that we saw started back in the great hunt and it's nice to see that come full circle but it would be nice if that had more influence on the final battle the last battle it's something that has to end before the last battle Mm-hmm. And, and I would say, you know, when people are like this plot line is pointless, I would say the point of this plot line is to show that Perrin is gathering together a diverse and large army and reuniting various groups that he could lead. Does that kind of get written off in the final battle? Yeah, because they all just show up at Malden, at, or not Malden, but uh, Marilor. Marilor. And then Matt's in command, right? So, or Elaine's in command. It's why I would have loved to have seen, like, so, okay, Matt in charge of the battle in terms of strategy, but Perrin using his dream abilities to teleport from front line to front line to rally people and lead the troops in person. 
See, that's what the fucking God of Thunder would do. Is right. fucking flash around as quick as lightning to deliver the words of Loki, the High Command. Like, that would have been so cool! So mm-hmm. Superman! Mm-hmm. So superhero! Like, oh my god, that would have been so cool. Like, Matt in a desperate situation, because there's all the situations where he's, like, on the run and isolated, and, like, his command is is all over the place, and he he's, like, trying to get word out to people. And if Perrin was just flashing in, being like, where do you need me? You know, and Perrin shows up and is like, we charge! And, like, right? bringing his, like, wolves with him. Yeah, and just dropping off multiple Aiel at multiple spots in the dream to do stuff rather than putting it all on Gaul. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gaul's awesome, but, like, you could have brought more people. And then especially when he learns to teleport to the real world. I almost think that that he has to get taken out because that's so powerful. It gives him such an advantage in battle, the whole teleporting in and out of Teleron Riyadh. That's what happens when you get to the end of the campaign. You're a god. Right. <laughs> and that is really where we're getting to with these characters, right? They are achieving godhood levels of power, right? Rand just did something that really he undid something a god did, mm-hmm. right? He undid the tainting of the one power. Matt is using his luck to fight the gods of the snakes and foxes of luck and you know these sort of the fey yeah basically. he battles with the fucking fey he fey right and wins yeah uh, which nobody right? does <laughs> nobody does and Perrin becomes this god of you know the dream and and the thunder and the lightning so yeah would have been really cool to see him use that a little bit more instead of just to take down one two-souled asshole but for now when to wear jewels we get we get our little spiel about like when you want a big favor you gotta dress you know different than when you want a small favor and dress poor when you want a small favor and fine when you want a large one which kind of makes sense right like people can be people will take you at your word if you dress a certain way in a way that's kind of terrifying it's also like what modern banking, right? The the bank will only give you a loan if you don't really need it. Mm-hmm. You have to prove mm-hmm. that you're already exactly, rich. Exactly. You have to come in in your rich clothes and you know your expensive bank account. Same thing with renting now these days. Jesus, <laughs> you got to prove you're rich to rent a studio apartment in this city. Yeah, it's it's the thing about how like I can't afford like people, you know, people like you you can't afford to save up for a house because you aren't trusted to have to be able to pay for an apartment like just mm. yeah yeah the i can't (laughs) what is it uh they say i can't afford a fifteen hundred dollar a month loan so i pay two thousand dollars a month in rent Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly it's it's um frustrating no no i'm not at all trying to buy a house i am interested in buying a house by the way (laughs) mostly the the condo i'm living in uh i'm renting it Uh, But I'm the only renter in the building, so I'm hoping to scrounge up enough money to actually do a down payment on it. That'd be so cool. I am so so glad that we were able to get some intergenerational wealth such that we were able to buy a house because it's real relieving. It's real Mm -hmm. relieving to be paying a mortgage instead of a rental fee. Yeah, I just want to lock it in because renting keeps going up every month. Like this, this year, I got a nice fat you know, raise and every cent of that went to the rent increase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, then it doesn't really feel like a raise at all. It feels like I'm actually making less money because the prices of everything have gone up and the rent alone accounts for the raise. So anyway, ugh, modern economics, not fun. No. 
So maybe you should just wear jewels more often and then everything will be better. Well, I really should. Yeah. <laughs> I need to represent. I'm wearing raggedy t-shirts too much. Well, that's, we come to you and we're asking for small favors, which is a dollar a month on our Patreon. Please, please support us. Observe the raggedy um, t-shirt. On our <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're totally in just, you know, shitty backgrounds, busted up mics. Uh, yeah. it's not because we can't afford better things. We're just pretending. So yeah. because we're asking for a small favor. Yeah. yeah. It's not that we've been broke our whole lives. <laughs> I haven't actually ever. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was born to the right people, but moving from bullshit, real economics to actual important economics. Right. Right. Um, Oh, I did want to talk about the gateways, right? So Axework and Sweat had removed the trees, sheared off by gateways, and made a little clearing. I just was thinking, like, wouldn't horizontal gateways be cool to clear a pathway with? Because you just literally make a horizontal gateway through the tree. It would cut it, and then the tr you just make the destination somewhere, like, where you want the logs to fall. Ooh. And the tree will literally just fall through the hole. And you could make it really narrow so it would limb the tree on the way down. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, you make it just the diameter of the, the Modern logging. part of the tree. We just reinvented it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just little circular gate. Well, I guess there have to be square or something. I don't know. Horizontal gateways and you just clear it really quick. Like, I was like, ah, you don't have to sweat all that much. Yeah, well, this is classic RJ not thinking about the actual practical applications. This this is where Sanderson mm -hmm. is tearing his hair out. Like, but 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 you could you could do right. that. You could, <laughs> right. But yeah, th this is this is why Sanderson was a good pick to wrap up the series because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. he saw gateways and was like, why would you sweat over a tree when you could just chop it out of the sky? Right. What well, I mean, if it could cut through anything, right? It's the perfect razor. Why not use that razor? Yeah, it literally doesn't go dull because you remake it every time. And that's why we have Andral. Yeah, basically. Um, Parent thinks about the Two Rivers men and how they all look harder and more badass than when he took them out of the Two Rivers and how he really wants to take them home. And then, yeah, they're continuing to head out of the camp and Balwer shows up with Mador and Ladolin and they add themselves to the party. Please and thank you. Balwer being like, yeah, I totally have a buddy in this town. And Parent's like, sure you do. Okay, I'm going to insert the Jennifer Lawrence meme here. All right, Balwer. <laughs> My lord, I recalled that I have an acquaintance in this so harbor, a cutler who travels with his wares. He, but he may not be at home, and I've not seen him in several years. So I just have to wonder if, like, before Talonvor left, he was like, I'll meet you, at, you know, this is the person in so harbor that we can meet. Well, he's not taking Perrin to him, though. No, no. To be Talonvor left to go see if he could find allies, right? And so, and Talonvor was probably like, well, where will I meet you? And he was like, well, at So Harbor? Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Well, then well, how does he know they're going to go to So Harbor? That's, that's my question. Oh, well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe it's just like, at every town along our perspective route, like, here's the code word, or here's how we'll figure out if we're going to meet there, or something. Because right, Balwer says, like, the dude might not be there. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So that way he's able to, like, mm -hmm. excuse it either way, depending on if Talonvor has managed. But, like, that's, like, the check-in routine that they're doing. But I don't know how he would know that this is the time to go check. I guess it's because they just haven't been to a town. And it's just kind of like, well, hang out in a town. I don't know. It's very hand-wavy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just reading through... Wow, this is a hell of a tangent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you were looking something up and I was engaging with chat. It's your fault. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Have you found the answer to what you're looking up? Oh, uh, yes. Basically, so Talonvor, 
After separating from parents' forces, Talonvor attempts to track Magden, but the Shido move too fast for him to follow. Um, right, so he he separates to try and follow on his own while Perrin's doing his whole traveling and overshooting and then catching back up. Uh, so Talonvor is trying to do that, but he's not moving fast enough. Um, so he makes contact uh, with an army of the Terraboners who are loyal to the Shanjan mm. and then ends up in So Harbor and accompanies Balwar back to parents' camp. Okay, so it's... Oh, right, and Balwar even says that he didn't go to find Bal... That he didn't go to find Talonvor. Yeah. He actually is like, yeah, yeah. But that so was it a seems like it coincidence, is. but whatever. Right. So that's how he right. that's how he knows, is he doesn't. I, I gotta wonder how much of that is a coincidence, though, right? It's Balwar. Oh, uh, definitely Taviran. Yeah, okay. Definitely yeah. a Taviran tugging, because Perrin's bringing people together. Why not Talonvor, who is a threat to a whole ass other army? I mean... Fucking Tylee speaks well of Perrin specifically to Shanchan, and that factors hugely into Tuan's reluctance to be an antagonist to Westlanders because one of her recently elevated generals is like, seriously, we can't afford to fight these people. We have to make alliances with them. And that gives Tuan serious pause. So this is the, the whole Talonvor stumbling into Balwar thing is absolutely Tavern, no question. Okay, okay. I'll give you that. Because <laughs> it's too dumb otherwise. Then I, I assume... Yeah. And then his then his contact is just one of the spies he knows that I assume he's just going to check in with for information. Yeah. And he says acquaintance. Perrin is like, oh, he doesn't have friends. I was like, well, no. He meant like a work acquaintance. Right. And he's probably out of town for four days so that Balwar has to stay long enough so that he does run into Talonvor. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. the Taviranness. That's why his friend isn't there. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Totally. In Yes, but Uncle. The entire story is Taviran, but, like, this is the kind of coincidence that's annoying in stories that don't have a Taviran mechanic, you know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> this, like, this has to happen so that the Sean Chan can, so that Perrin can have Sean Chan allies. How do you make that happen if you don't have a Taviran thing? Well, you've got to come up with some sort of coincidence or some sort of reason why they'd be in the area. Here you just say, oh, yeah, Taviran. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got another interesting thing about Balwar is that he is apparently the only person in the entire world, aside from Liana, who has thought <clears throat> that what your friends did and said could be as interesting as what your enemies planned. And that's when you were sure they were your friends. Mm -hmm. Balwar mm -hmm. and Liana are the only people in the entire world who have ever thought of spying on their allies. I doubt that. Yeah, I know. But it's the only people yeah. that we get introduced to. It's like, no, you only spy on enemies. And then Liana is like inventive among the eyes to die for having a network in Tarvalon. And Balwar is surprising Perrin with the fact that he's listening to all the camps. I would bet the Kyrian all spy on each other. Well, yeah, but they're Kyrian. Internal. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> they're playing the game of houses. No one's actually a friend in Kyrian. Yeah, that's true. There's also a whole like Balwar knows that Barrelane knows that Balwar knows that Barrelane knows like little thing. Yeah, which is, it's, yeah, they're it's spying a, on each it's other. It's cute that she knows he's a spy master, and it's the whole thing of like the fact that she never makes open reference to the information makes Balwar seem to like her because you know he likes to be acknowledged for his work by not being acknowledged. So yeah, it's some fun Balwar moments, Balwar personalization, characterization, um, and they. Head through the gateway. Hey, we get towards So Harbor. And Perrin looks around and goes, this is pretty desolate. There's nobody out here. Did he gateway us to the wrong place? Right. Because, like, there's no tracks on the in the snow, even though the snow is old. And um, it's all very eerie and disturbing. And then off in the distance, he spots a Shan Chan on a rockin'. 
And then he's like, I'm going to fucking kill Neil mm-hmm. if he fucked this up. <laughs> and then we turn the page to the next chapter and no, 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 we're fine. It's just we're at the crossroads of Twilight and nothing is correct. Right. This is a place that's just been corrupted. And they, they seem to be there's like a big plane that they're approaching. Right. There's all these wagons that are spread out. And he's like, we can see for miles in every direction if we're attacked. Right. There's just nobody out there. This seems to be just a wide open plane leading up to So Harbor. Right, but there's no traffic on it. There's no evidence of human life. There's just a Sean Shan in the distance that clearly will have no interest in the army popping out of the air. Right. It may have been taken for a large bat at first glance, sweeping eastward on long ribbed wings. A strange bat with a long neck and a long thin tail trailing behind. Which, if this was Eye of the World, I'd be like... Drakkar. Drakkar! But this is is later on in the series, and the Sean Shan are dominating the skies and parent can see a human riding on it which a drakkar seems unlikely to do right see yeah because they're only human sized right the the torakan and rockin are big enough to carry people drakkar are really only people sized right exactly exactly but yeah they arrive on the plane and and look at this town and go oh yeah that's too strategically hard for masima to take over that's why there's still food there for us to bargain for because Masima has stripped the countryside bare otherwise. Right, right. This place had walls. Yeah, exactly. And Masima has assholes. So thought about Anura. Is she worried because of the um the power in the sky? Is she still thinking about that? Maybe and that's why she wanted the other Aes Sedai near her? Nah, I don't think so. It's been long enough since that happened that I think all that anxiety has simmered down by now. Because that was in the big be- that was our first POV with Perrin. What? How long ago was that? Because that was the first, that was like the first couple of chapters. He mentions his rope knot thing. Right. So that's 32. Let's see if we can figure out what he's doing in the beginning of this book. Crossroads of Twilight. 22nd morning in Crossroads of Twilight, chapter five. So it's been 10 days. And that in, in that chapter is when the cleansing was happening. So it's been 10 days since the cleansing. Right, so it's been a week and nothing bad has happened. I feel like the anxiety has simmered down by now. Yeah, right, right. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, so I guess read into chapter 26 in So Harbor. Yeah. Nodding Ravens. And we have Nodding Ravens. Yay. Uh, what the heck are the Nodding Ravens referencing in this chapter? Death? 
the dark. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just going with the corruption and the dark friend and the twilight, and it's just it's the dark ones ravens. And there isn't a symbol for rats per se, but there is a lot of rat right. action and. It's in that same, like, the Dark One's creatures. Yeah, yeah. Just general darkness, not necessarily a Forsaken or anything drastic, just general Dark One-ness. And yeah, very much like the dread, the watching, the anticipation, the thinning of reality. Like, Ravens, Corvids, they they can pass between between the worlds. Like, this is well known in folklore, is that Corvids have special transcendent powers between the land of the living and the dead. So... That also fits here. Memory and thought. Mm -hmm. As it happened, Neald, who had had to remain to hold the gateway open to Kyrian and the Giladon were through, had placed the hole in the air very close to where he aimed. He and Kyrian caught up at a gallop just as Perrin topped a rise and drew rein with the town of So Harbor in front of him, on the other side of a small river crossed by a pair of arching timber bridges. Perrin was no soldier, but he knew right away why Masima had left this place alone. Hard against the river, the town had two massive stone walls dotted with towers around it, the inner rising taller than the outer. A pair of barges were tied to a long wharf that ran along the river wall from bridge to bridge. Yet the wide bridge gates, iron-strapped and closed tight, seemed to be the only openings in that expanse of rough, gray stone, and battlements topped the whole length of it. Built to hold off greedy neighboring nobles, so Harbor would have had little fear of the prophet's rabble, even if they came by thousands. Anyone wanting to break into this town would need siege engines and patience, and Masima was more comfortable terrorizing villages and towns without walls or defenses. I think that's enough. Yeah, so it's a cool scene, setting, set piece. Yeah, just a set piece of Soul Harbor, I think, there. Big walls against the river. Because, like you said, it's a crossroads. It's a trading post. Right. The river comes in one direction, the road goes in another direction. Curious, let's I wanna look at the map of So Harbor. See if we can figure out where it is on the map. Uh except there's apparently a place in Los Angeles called So Harbor, so Unhelpful. Northwest is in a town in northwest Altara. Yeah, I'm just trying to find anything that actually has So Harbor. And they're kind of near Saladar. Yeah, they're very far from Abudar. They're like on the opposite side of the country from Abudar. Right, right, right. Anyway, I don't, I don't have anything. I was just trying to think if there was a place that showed like the map and roads and if we actually had a map of So Harbor anywhere, but I don't think we do. Yeah, no, because nothing happens there. It's just dread. So, yeah, they. he thinks about how Berylan and Anura sort of designed the strategy for what they're going to do in So Harbor. He's really not supposed to take point on it. They're going to all be supporting characters to Barrelane taking point on the mission. I love this line. Neil says, I was beginning to think everyone in this country was dead and buried. And it's like, well, a lot of them are dead and walking around. Yeah, the around. buried part, not so much. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> well, I mean, technically they are buried. It's their ghosts, not their right. bodies that are haunting people. Right, That's right. That's why they pass through walls. Um, Perrin is very uneasy as they approach the town. It stinks. It looks wrong. And no one is saying anything. And then Galien manages to rattle off everyone's full title at the top of his lungs, which is just an amusing sight of like, he's just yelling up at these walls of grimy people who are just thinking, are they dead? Are they dead? 
are they alive? Are they dead? While he's like going through like Berlin, Sir Pendrag, Peyron, Queen of the... Like, like on and on and on. And everyone up on the wall is just like, but do you think that they're dead? Uh, and, it's, and then he's naming all the Aes Sedai. And the Aes Sedai, I think, is what's convincing people to open up. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they kind of wish that the Aes Sedai would like stay and fix things you know it's just like with uh hinderstab fix the right figure out what's going on like they don't know what the Aes Sedai could do but you see Aes Sedai you figure they can fix the supernatural problems that are plaguing you yeah you got mind about magic problems you look for magic solutions exactly so after all those titles someone goes how do we know you're alive and then Stayonet has the best response if I must prove I am alive you will regret it <laughs> which is just like so Aes Sedai and I love it Right. So they get they get let in and of course it stinks like a frat house in the whole so town. Much worse. Yeah. So much worse. Like the stink of unemptied chamber pots and people who haven't made use of any water to wash in for a week and like this is squalor. Yeah. This is people locking themselves into absolute squalor. It's it kind of reminds me of the hoarding videos like hoarding it, and depression exactly, combined exactly. into just like just piling, throwing your trash out the back window, just letting it pile up, not taking care of your duties, not taking care of your hygiene, just letting yourself... Essentially, the whole town is depressed. The whole town is in a depression spiral, like, of the worst sort, where, like, literally you can't get up to do a single thing, and mountains of trash are towering over you. The whole town, everyone's been taken by the same malaise. They they ask for the leaders of the town, and they're like, he's um indisposed. We'll take you to the grain merchants. They're the real power in town. Because as we learn by the end of the chapter, the guy fled from fear of his wife's ghost, because apparently the mayor of the town's wife died under mysterious circumstances. So as soon as ah, the dead started walking, right. he fucking bounced. Fair enough. If I murdered my wife and the dead started walking, I'd be like, well, peace. That's it for me. Cool, bad. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it didn't put the town in a good place because having no leadership isn't good when the world starts crumbling around you. You want strong leadership. That's what we really get from Perrin's arc is that a strong leader can make even foodless, surrounded by enemies, people feel like there's a point. Isn't there that scene in the prologue? I, I want to say um, uh, one of one of Sanderson's books where the white cloaks the every every all the metal melts and they like they abandon the leader and tie him up to the trade it's jared sarand yeah jared sarand yeah yeah totally yeah the lack of a leader there really fucks them up they all drift apart into different directions they don't even go as a single body to find the nearest army like they just fragment whereas if jared sarand had been able to deal with the situation and say okay this is what we're gonna do they would have all stuck together. Right. So yeah, this town got abandoned by a guy who obviously sucked because he murdered his wife. So he clearly didn't leave. He didn't, the town was not doing well at a subconscious psycho-spiritual level with that kind of a leader. And then he bailed. So here we are. And then there's a very tasty salad paragraph here. <laughs> yeah. Winter in Alahara, Sianid, Kirkland, Missouri. Kyrian, Meador, Latalan, Belwar, I mean, Berylane. The, the names in this, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I know a few of those names, but a couple of them are just like, these are Chafail people I've never heard of before, and Giladonin, and people, and... Warders. 
borders who don't do anything interesting. They just loom imposingly behind our short queen lesbian Sayonid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing some great fan art of Sayonid, the short lesbian, and her two giant hulking warders. It's awesome. Oh, tell me more about Sayonid and why she's getting a moment. And I don't know. She's one of those, like, from nothing kind of fan favorites. Oh, it's because she's one of the only established lesbians in the cast. Ah. There's so few of them. And it's like, well, throwaway line somewhere. But someone has made some excellent fan art of Sayonid, our short queen lesbian with her ginormous hulking warders because she doesn't get enough love in the books. And so she should get more. Um, but there's a great picture of her. Like it's like a beach thing. She's got like the big hat and the little tank top and then, you know, absolutely hulking men in their little shorts. It's, it's great, but yeah, they don't actually do anything interesting. Certainly not in this chapter. They just are there to be a name salad. Cause you need fiber with, your tasty, tasty treats. <laughs> I like that. That the name salad is providing the fiber that's holding together all the like the tasty fun yeah. moments. It certainly seems to have been RJ's intention. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just a lot more about how grimy the town is, how dirty people are. Everything stinks. Everything's coated in filth. Nobody's taking care of anything. Nobody's eating enough. Imagination made the streets dim too. It had to be imagination. The sky was not that gray. Crossroads of twilight. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. This place is in perpetual twilight. The light did seem shadowy. It literally is in the line. In spite of the morning sun, the light seems shadowy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No shadows. And yeah, and, they, and inside there isn't even a fire burning. It's like super cold. Everything's dirty. Like there's people standing around drinking wine, but like. It doesn't feel like an inhabited building. It feels like an empty building with ghosts standing inside it, even though they're alive. Like, they've already become ghosts. And the ghosts are appearing at either sunrise or sunset. In this case, sunrise, right? Set, I think. Because they see one today. They're not here in the middle of the... they in the middle of the day? I don't know. The whole town is in twilight constantly. Mm, okay. And Nora tries to get them to admit that something's going on. And they're like, nothing's going on. We would like to sell you grain, please. Right. And Perrin's like, that's why I'm here. I don't care about Sean Chan. I don't care about supernatural Twilight. I just care about food for my army to get my wife. So they move forward with the negotiations briefly. And like, the, they still let things slip. She's like, uh, we're what's left of the Merchant's Guide. I mean, uh, we're the Merchant's Guide. Guild. Yes. Right? Like, guild. <laughs> guide. That's one of those things that um, I learned that word, guild, from reading. And I thought it was guide mm. for a long time. And I had to re relearn how to pronounce that word because uh, I don't know why I didn't see the L. I think it's the IL combo. Yeah, IL like, gets me a lot of yeah, times. IL is a terrible combination. <laughs> it is, right? Especially depending on the font that you're looking at. Mm. Yeah, and they're, and they're like not bargaining hard. They're really like easy to make a deal with and that's suspicious. They don't seem to care that this is a big purchase. They're not like, ooh, boy, we're going to make a bunch of money off of this. Because they're supplying a whole army with as much food as they could buy. Months of food. That's a fortune in any other time. And they're just like, sure, we'll sell it to you cheap, whatever. You're buying in bulk. Yeah. Right? And like the way that Masima described the town was that they were greedy. And that's why they have food, right? When Masima brings the news of the town, it's like because they were greedy so you would expect them to light up when their gamble pays off but they could give a shit 
Because they know it's full of weevils, I assume. That is part of it. But I also think, like, if they talked up a high price and then they were like, well, it's full of weevils, we'll give you half. If you half of the starting point is higher, it's still more money, right? Like, right. Again, the, the malaise that has got them is, is they, they are not thinking straight. They're not behaving normally. This is, this is a depressed person's response to a business adventure. So they get some wine and pewter cups that haven't seen polish in weeks, if not months. And pewter very quickly develops a patina, right? You can really quickly tell, you know, you just polish it off and it gets shiny and then it oxidizes very, very quickly, which is why you can tell, like, how long has it been since you polished this? Because, you know, it develops a little bit of polish, like, every every week it gets more tarnished. Which, again, is that's a great, I think, analogy for what's going on in this town. Everything is tarnished. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm oxidized untended aged broken down like yeah there's that level of neglected yeah yeah he's really driving at home in case you weren't getting the message he's like what if i put you in a town that's full of the allegory right yeah this is the, the, the decay is bad and this is happening all over the world i think this town is just an example of it yeah it's popping up everywhere like little fungal bits of mold on a loaf of bread I do think it's a little ridiculous that he's going to so harbor for supplies and not, they have a gateway. Why not go to one of the Camelin? Why not go to Tyr? Why not go to Kyrian? Why not go to these big cities that have infinite supplies that are under the control of the Dragon Reborn? Why go to this little town, you know, the biggest town in the area, but still a relatively small town compared to any of these monstrous cities? There's the line earlier about how Arganda can't bear to go on this mission because it would take him farther away from Aleandra, even though it's a brief mission. So I wonder if the same sort of thing is keeping Perrin, like, he has to go this small distance, but he doesn't want to go any big distance and get caught up in, like, a weeks-long negotiation with someone like Elaine and being away from Fael and the situation for that long. I don't think it's logical, but maybe that's it. Yeah, I, I just I, he does talk about how um, Arganda would inch closer to the Shido if he could, and it's this idea of like they don't want to be any further away than possible. So even traveling, they're staying as close as possible, even though it's traveling is just a step through a gateway. Yeah, it, it's not logical, but they aren't behaving logically. This is a deeply emotional, traumatizing situation. So the logic is logical. And apparently, I'm told pewter stays shiny, so I'm guess i don't um, the polishing thing might just be silver plating or possibly impurities in the pewter is my guess i don't know or maybe parents just being judgy or it just looks yeah. dirty maybe it's just like encrusted <laughs> it just looks dirty just like mm, yeah right just mm. dust just dust building up i don't you know. know i don't know i'm not familiar with the metal upkeep in my housewares, I, I just have steel and ceramic, and I don't take care of it. Isn't stainless steel great? I love stainless steel. How's um, Brandon liking the sharpening stones you got? Very much so. He needs to use them again. Um, but it's it's been fabulous having such a sharp knife around. Because like, it's a really nice knife that he has. It's like the the chef's knife he got when he went to culinary school. So it it has held its edge very, very well. I mean, he hones it all the time, so that way it stays nice and sharp. But... Um, you know, it's right, right. But you still need, no matter how often you're honing a knife, it does eventually lose material to the point where you have to create a new edge. 
Yeah. And it's been fun feeling that process from when it was very first sharp and being like, you know, I, I think you got to bust the stones out again. I feel like even when it's freshly rehoned, it's just not quite where it was. And it's been a it's been a fun process. <laughs> I sharpen my knife, not monthly because I don't cook that much anymore. I mean, I'm still cooking on a regular basis, but I'm not cooking like two meals a day, like during the pandemic. But yeah, after a month or two, I can tell it's like not slicing through the tomatoes as yeah. smoothly you know yeah. and so then i even even with honing it i like to pull out my knife sharpener because yeah. again once you get good at it it only takes a couple you know three four passes per side to sharpen up on the stone yeah. so anyway knife sharpening yay it's important it's important. It's maintenance, it's maintenance, right? And that's what these people aren't doing. That's the connection I'm trying to make, right? Like, right. None of their knives have been sharpened. N- none of their knives have been sharpened. They're all cutting with dull knives and not even honing at this point. Yeah. Oh, there's a line here where all the dogs are gone. And I'm like, yeah, because they haven't fed them or filled up their water bowls, right? They just let their pets die because they didn't care about them anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, the dogs that were able to leave left because they have a survival instinct and don't understand what's wrong with the humans. Mm -hmm. Because I'm assuming that animals are not being affected in the same way as humans and all of this. I'm assuming that the one that like the dogs left rather than just lying down and dying of sadness. Right. Right. And I'm assuming they weren't eaten, right? Because he says he doesn't understand. That's what he says. The dogs are gone. And that can happen in a place where they're starving. But if they've got grain to sell, they shouldn't be starving enough to eat their dogs. And there's no signs of starvation here. Like, that's not one of their problems. They don't want to eat per se, but they have food to eat when they do make themselves eat. Right, right. It's like the guy at the gate lost a lot of weight, but that's probably more about apathy than starvation. And they're very happy to sell the food in as much as they have any emotion at all. They're not, like, trying to argue, well, we can't eat money. Like, they don't make that argument at all. No, no. They've got plenty. I mean, the grain in the warehouse is an insane amount, right? He's like, this is enough to feed my troops for months, and that's just what I can see. There's tons more beyond that. So there's plenty of grain, you know, which needs to be winnowed, obviously. But, yeah, so they sell them the grain and, you know... Perrin, through his intuition, basically says, I need to see the grain in the warehouse. And Berylaine says, yeah, no shit. Like, that's part of the negotiating process. Like, I would never buy it. Right, because they get given samples. And he's like, well, these samples were clearly not opened since the harvest, like, two years ago. So, that's not a good sample, actually, compared to the grain that exists. So Yeah, the thread, this is interesting. The threads cut into the wood were sharp and unworn. The lids would fit tightly. So it's like, yeah, they sealed it once back when they first harvested the grain. And it's a sharp seal, I guess. It hasn't been opened or closed is, I guess, what he's saying. Yeah, that's that's what I'm getting from that is that it literally hasn't been opened since it was sealed up. And then he, like, watches Mistress Arnon. Is that her yeah, name? Yeah, Arnon. And she's all looking nervous and shit. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to go look at the warehouse. Yeah, half the people around the tables twitch when he says he wants to see yeah. the warehouse. And then Barrowline's like... Yeah, obviously. Like <laughs> The bald-headed man put his head down on the table. No one said anything, though. Everyone's just, like, uh, acting like, oh, no, he's going to catch us, you know? Right, and then and then they, they drag their feet in every possible way. First, they're slow to go to the warehouse. And, like, oh, we're going to need to send people to get the, the beam moved. And then they go in, like, oh, we didn't bring lanterns. And, like, parents' party, of course, being strong and magical, is able to just overcome each of these hurdles. But the merchants are dragging their feet. 
It's actually one of my favorite little comedy sections <laughs> in this uh, part yeah, of the book. Because yeah. they're like, we can't lift the thing. And Perrin just gets under it and, like, you know, pseudo suplexes it out of there and tosses it off to the side. And they're all like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> and Perrin thinks it's because they've never seen a man in a silk coat work. And it's like, no, it's because it normally takes three men to lift that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's because you're a fucking beast, Perrin. That's why they're they're freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. It's because you're a monster of a man. <laughs> And it's also a little bit just like showing off the talents of these people that are coming, you know, Perrin and Honora, like everyone involved in Perrin's party is highly skilled and talented in one way or another. And they can use those skills to accomplish things. Right. This is like an NPC village from the tutorial level. And these like mid campaign, like super guys are rolling through and they're like, whoa, whoa, we just wanted you to like kill a chicken or two. Like, this is confusing. Right. <laughs> yeah. When they ask you to like open a door and you hit it with like your highest damage blast right. and it explodes open to splinters and you're like, oh, I just wanted it open. I didn't need it exploded. Yeah, they're so OP. Yeah. So OP. Yes. Um, the town does not know how to handle it. And then, yeah, they go in like, oh, we need light. And Onura's like, come on. That's like even the novices of the, of the White Tower. Like, don't have a problem with providing fucking light. Like, come on. And there's also a consistent thread of Perrin doing things that are like inhumanly strong compared to like he is so big and so strong. he's so big he's so <laughs> strong yeah like he is absurdly strong it's not superhuman but he is on that you know upper end of the bell curve of what humans are capable of yeah yeah no he's like a heavyweight champion or something where it's just like yeah like to sit in a chair that normal people could flop into he has to be careful like he's just so much of a man um so then the, we, we get this sort of opera of cats and rats fighting in the background Ooh, and yeah. how he thinks that they aren't necessarily the dark one's eyes not all of them are to the dark one's eyes but based on the heading of this chapter which is the nodding ravens i kind of assume they are the dark one's eyes perrin is being like oh there's nothing for the dark one to spy on like perrin it's like you it's you you hi you, perrin it's you you're the you. you're the dark one's focus <laughs> you're the problem yeah <laughs> you're the dark one's yeah, problem exactly like and like you you had Arganda bellow your names at the gate. You've been camped in one spot for three weeks. You think the Dark One hasn't tapped some of the rats around here to spy on you? Really? Also, this is a place full of the Dark One's corruption. And also like rats fighting back against cats. Right. Like rats fighting back against cats does not sound like not the touch of the Dark One to me. Also, cats like eyes to die. So again, like rats attacking cats there's there's mm -hmm. some symbolism mm -hmm. yeah some symbolism there the rats the dark ones attacking the cats with the eyes to die probably also part of why the townspeople are so freaked out because like the rats are looking at them with too much intelligence and like biting babies and cats are vanishing and like you know everything's a little off well and it's clear the dark one is focused on this town his power is here his corruption is here he's affecting the people he's affecting the rats he's affecting the grain I bet none of them have gotten a good night's sleep in months. They're probably all in some kind of like backwash of issues, dream shard turbulence. So rows and rows of stacks piled nearly to the ceiling and like likely on the same uh, and likely the same on the floor above. If not, this building still had enough held enough grain to feed his people for weeks. And there's multiple buildings, multiple layers like there's tons mm. of grain. Yeah, this is a, a trading hub. Um, but yeah, it's it's full of weebles, right? Yeah, Perrin just starts slicing open sacks and spilling out what's in them, and it's just weevils everywhere. And in another Discord, 
Um, recently someone posted a picture of a close-up weevil face and i've now seen it getting passed around repeatedly because of you know this sort of section and um it's kind of nightmare fuel and kind of beautiful weevil heads are really really interesting looking most bug faces are yeah yeah most most bugs are if you get them at the right the right size scale but um yeah very creepy, very nightmare fuel They uh, they make this scene feel even more dreadful and tense and anxious when there's just these scuttling little bugs. And then if you've had Discord in your brain, now you know what those little bugs look like. And it's like, ah! Uh. Ah, yes, there's a different one in chat now. <laughs> I did see a really cool video the other day of about bees and how they uh, interact with electricity. It was Journey to the Microcosmos and... Uh, some very very cool macro photography of a, a bee yeah that picture that one in chat that someone decided posted that's the one why the long face why do they have such long faces <laughs> yeah for eating the grain maybe, maybe don't be nightmare fuel have you ever thought of that hey it's just more protein <laughs> i mean now you're getting uh you know complex carbohydrates in the form of the grain and protein in the form of the weevils it's a more complete meal they're really doing you a favor uh, the dark one's an environmentalist and a nutritionist. Is that <laughs> what I'm getting? He's a nutritionist. <laughs> he's, he's basically, he's trying to plumb people up for the last battle. He wants to make sure that they've got all the energy they need to fight. So, you know, weevils. Mm, no. no, that's that's not yeah. true. No, <laughs> they're ruining the food. And because well, they're eating the grain. You know what happens? That means that there's no grain for you to eat. Now you've got to eat them. Right. And exactly. like, entropy is such that you're not going to get as much value out of the weevil as it did out of the out of the grain and people aren't even eating the weevils it's not like they're you know grinding them up for protein flour right. or anything like that yeah. they're winnowing them out and just and and you know i think we've talked about winnowing before but it's the uh, process of throwing the grain basically up in the air in the wind and you expect the weevils that are lighter right mm -hmm. than the grain to blow the wind away. blows the weevils away and then you have the grain sort of fall back in the basket and so this process is sort of like gold panning almost where you're like tossing the grain up in the air you're letting the liquid carry away the stuff you, the lighter stuff you don't want. Kinda. <laughs> Weevil panning. Yeah, yeah. You're using fluid dynamics to separate things out. Of different weights. Weight. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's a pretty good analogy. Yeah. 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 We'll we'll revisit that in in a, when we get repeated descriptions of winnowing. Right. 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 And that's why he doesn't want millet because millet and weevils are about the same size. Because the millet grain is pretty small. Yeah. And the, the merchants try to bargain at this point. They're like, oh, for a slight additional fee, we'd be happy to winnow this. And Barrowland's like, for half the price I offered, you will be winnowing all of this. Right. Right. They're trying to be like, oh, we're doing you a service by winnowing it. And it's no. like, no, 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 no. No, we're doing you a service by continuing to buy anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, yeah, parents says we'll take extra beans instead because that will be easier to winnow. And then we finally get the sweet break of tension of a scream from Kyrian, who I, I guarantee you it sounds like a 12-year-old girl just got like a bucket of ice water dumped on her head. Like that is the scream that this man is letting out. Suddenly somebody shrieked. It wasn't a scream. Shrieked outside in the street. Not a cat or a rat, but a man in terror. Yeah, that, that is the very highest note that your skull can produce is the shriek zone. <laughs> 
Um, and yeah, he he basically was standing out there drinking and being disdainful and then suddenly saw a ghost walk through a wall. <laughs> there was a man. He just looked at me and he walked through the wall. He did. You must believe me. And Cianid backs him up, right? And so you've got nice and I backing him up. So that sort of makes it true no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it lets you know that it is not a figment of an imagination. It's not a trick. It's not. Yeah, it's like, well, if an Aes Sedai saw it, it's real, which is, you know, Aes Sedai have flights of fancy, but it is reassuring that multiple people saw it. I find it difficult to lie, Lord Perrin, Sienid said dryly when he expressed doubt, but her tone quickly became as serious as her face, and her eyes were so intent that they alone began to make Perrin feel uneasy. The dead are walking in So Harbor. Lord Cowlin fled the town for fear of his wife's spirits. It seemed there was doubt to how she died. Hardly a man or woman in the town was not seen, has not seen somebody dead, and a good many have seen more than one. Some say people have died from the touch of someone dead. I cannot verify that, but people have died of fright, and others because of it. No one goes out at night in So Harbor or walks into a room unannounced. People strike out at shadows and surprises with whatever is at to hand, and sometimes they have found a husband, wife, or neighbor dead at their feet. This is not hysteria or a tale to frighten children, Lord Perrin. I have never heard of the like, but it is real. You must leave one of us here to do what we can. Perrin shook his head slowly. He could not afford to lose an eye to die if he was to free Fail. Mistress Arnon began to weep before he said, So Harbor will have to face its dead alone. But fear of the dead only explained so much. Maybe people were too frightened to think of washing, but it seemed unlikely that fear would take everyone that way. They just did not seem to care anymore. And weevils thriving in winter and freezing cold? There was worse wrong in So Harbor than spirits walking, and every instinct told him to leave at a dead run without looking back. He purely wished that he could. That's a banger of an ending. Yeah, I like that ending. And just also like that building of the tension, right? Which, unfortunately, there's no big explosion. I kind of wish there was. I wish, you know, I, I feel like Kinderstadt does a little better where there's this building tension. And then you realize everyone goes crazy at sundown, right? Like, there's nothing like that going on in this in this town. Yeah, which is why the dread is just so intense and heavy. Is because there is no resolution to build up to. As spoilers people... We know when there's an explosion coming in because there isn't one, just the tension oozes out of this. So here's a totally off the cuff theory that perhaps Perrin's attitude towards the Shido when he takes his hand off is influenced perhaps by his presence in So Harbor, that maybe some of the corruption, some of the anger, some of the taint some of the depression from So Harbor gets into him and infects him a little bit, and that's why he's willing to go as far as he does. And then his reaction to it is what gets him to throw away the axe. Interesting. I think we should keep that in mind as we uh, get to that chapter. As, as you and Morgan, uh, without me, next week, mm -hmm. get to that chapter. Um, I think you should keep that in mind because 
I like that, that he takes away a bit of this. It clings to him and affects him for a bit until he's able to shake it and come out of it. Um, Because it is a very deeply uncharacteristic thing that haunts him for a long time. And I I like that. I think that you you should bring that to Morgan when she's... uh, Help yeah, you with and this. she'll shoot it down <laughs> yeah. really she'll well. She'll do it with such <laughs> precision and facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be nice. It'll be nice. So yeah, uh, next week I think you're celebrating your uh, anniversary, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm taking I'm taking the week off to tend to my real life and be present for some yeah real life anniversary stuff, and uh, I'm gonna be leaving you guys with Seth and Morgan. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be an excellent conversation because Morgan asked for the chapters, so you know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be good. And this is the uh, in the audio book on the cover. He's got the axe in the um, tree, right? And this is the seminal moment when he gives up the axe, right? This is a huge moment for Perrin, uh, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah. So that's coming up for everyone. Thanks again to all of our patrons, all of our live listeners. Everyone who shares our stuff around, um, thank you for being our audience and being awesome and whatnot. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough?